I feel like randomly this was not planned at all this way, but this is wrap-up Sunday. And what I mean by that is we're wrapping up VBS uh, today, which is, which is great, and that's been an amazing month. We're also wrapping up uh, our time with Bob and Anise this morning, which we'll talk a little bit uh, about that la- later on. Um, and we're also wrapping up this sermon series on the Letter of Romans. So I don't know which one of those you want to cheer for or not, but... Uh, so we're going to do that today, and I hope, I, I really do, I hope that you've been reading along with, in the text as we've been going through the series, because there's so much deep, meaningful, rich uh, language that Paul uses to describe basically his version of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it's meant to impact our lives. From a practical standpoint, what it means to be a church and Christians and how we live out our faith with each other in in this world. And so even if you haven't been, or maybe this is your first Sunday here, and so you're like, I didn't know you were in Romans, and now you're finishing it. Uh, Man, I just want to encourage you to go back through and read uh, read those things, because what Paul has to say is so, like I said, so deep and meaningful. And in particular, there's this running theme throughout the whole letter, and that is that Paul wants the Christians, the congregation in the Church of Rome, to be unified. And they'd struggled a little bit with, with that, because as we talked in previous weeks, they've basically got two groups of people that are coming from very different religious or pagan backgrounds. We've got Jewish Christians on one side, we've got Jew- Gentile Christians on another, and they've both been used to relating to God or the gods in very different ways. And so they've kind of looked around at each other and thinking, okay, we've, we've got so many different things as part of our backgrounds. How can God possibly bring us together? And if you were actually to, to stop and think about it and maybe even look around the room, you might think this and know everybody's story here. You might actually think the same thing about our church as well. And so Paul's concern is making sure that they stay unified and that they strive to put their foundation on the cornerstone of the resurrection. And when we do that, when we make it all about Jesus, and he is the foundation, he's the cornerstone for us, we find that we become a lot more unified than what we might, might originally think about the things that maybe seem like they could divide us. And so as he builds the letter, and these are the items we talked about over the last uh, several weeks, this is kind of the outline that, that we've used and gone through. When we're confronted by sin and we hear the gospel and we respond to Jesus, we've got to make the choice of whether or not we're, we're going to choose creation or a creator. And when we choose the creator, we experience the invitation into peace through faith in the one who has always given his best for us. And what that means for us is that we're no longer enslaved by sin. And so that old life, that old person that was enslaved by sin is gone. We become a new creation, and we have a life that's directed by the pursuit of righteousness. And this, this enables us to become more than conquerors. And this is, that is who we are as Christ followers. That's why we name this series that, More Than Conquerors, because as Paul gets to the middle of the letter, he gets to the crux of the matter of who our identity is in Jesus. And that we get to look around and say, hey, God has won an overwhelming victory, one that cannot be overcome through the kingdom of God through Jesus. And because of that, because of what God has done for for us and to be with us in a relationship with him, the only natural response is to give over our entire lives fully in sacrificial worship to him. And so there's this clear progression in Paul's letter, and and there's a lot more detail, obviously, as he gets into 16 chapters of unpacking all of this. There's a clear progression in how we ought to be coming together as a unified body of believers and living out our faith. Um, There is one thing, though, as he closes out his letter that threatens that unity, 
And so as he, as he ends things in Romans chapter 14 and 15, he identifies, he identifies one of the major threats that we have uh, to unity as Christ followers. And as a side note, um, while Paul, and as I read this passage of scripture that we're going to start with in Romans chapter 14, while Paul is primarily concerned with the unity of the church, which should be a primary concern for us as well, this is somewhat applicable for the unity of all relationships that we have. So we can think of strangers, acquaintances, friends, family, relationships that we share in our life. This, these are principles that we can use there as well. And you're going to see why in this very first verse of Romans chapter 14. Here's what Paul writes. He says, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Now, for those of you that have any kind of relationship, you're married, you're dating, you know, whatever it may be, you have family, I'm willing to wager that quarreling over disputable matters is something that you're familiar with. I'm, I'm just going to guess. Now, I want to let you know, like personally from my, li- from my life, my wife Renee and I, we don't have this problem. We never argue over anything that's not of consequence because there's always a right or wrong for everything, right? I mean, so like one of the arguments that we have is over the TV show Lost, which some of you, if you've been here for a while, like you've heard me bring that up before, I believe that the last show renders everything else that happened previously in the show to be completely like worthless. I mean, it just, it just ruins, every, like it just doesn't matter that the show even happened based on how they ended. Now, Renee has the contention that it's still a great show. Well, obviously there can only be one or right, one right or wrong you know, there when it comes to TV. And, and obviously I'm right. So, so like we don't deal with those kind of, sorry, honey. Um, <laughs> No, we're, we're good. Um, I, I, asked her, I asked her if I could share that. So, uh, we're, <laughs> so we're, we're perfect and we never argue about anything. And I'm sure all of you can relate to that as well. Like we don't get hung up in things that don't matter at all, ever. Okay, maybe may we do. So in context, Paul is talking specifically about how we engage with other fellow Christ followers when it comes to being living sacrifices and how we live out our faith. And so because of that, like, there, there are two pretty important things about this verse that we need to draw out. There are disputable matters. In other words, when, when Paul says disputable matters, what he's talking about are opinions. There are disputable matters, which conversely means that there are indisputable matters. And it's those indisputable matters that are, all of our unity should rest so, so those are the things that, regardless of the things that we have opinions on that we might argue about and have problems with, the things that we are unified on that are indisputable, like those are the things that should be bigger than those other things to keep us from being separated from each other. And so one of the phrases that informs how Velocity attempts to live out our faith, and there are a lot of other churches, particularly in, in our uh, brotherhood or our sisterhood, that, that follow this as well. And, and we'll say, in essentials unity... And opinions, liberty, but in all things, love. And so that comes from this idea that Paul is trying to draw out in, in this verse, that there are going to be things that seek to divide us. In fact, that the enemy wants to make bigger than what they actually are. And so we've got to determine, determine ahead of time that, no, regardless of the things that might pop up that, that might cause arguments, or like we get to determine, hey, is this really a thing? Is this really going to be a long-term issue, or is this just an opinion? And sacrificial love is the fulfillment in how God wants us to take care of those things in our lives. Paul mentions this in Romans chapter 13. What we get upset about 
And how we get upset about it has much to do with whether or not we maintain or break our relationships over things that may actually be trivial in the long run. And here's the second thing. This idea of individuals being weaker or stronger in their faith is a theme that Paul uses in more than one place. And, and I, I just want to be careful, as fun as it is to think about it in this, in this way, his goal is not for us to sit around and categorize, categorize ourselves based on strong and weak faith. Like, all right, everybody who's in strong faith, you know, and, and you think loss was terrible, you come sit on this, this side of the room, you know, and everybody who's weak faith, you, you come and sit. Like, that's not a thing. Like, as a, as a staff or as an elder team, we're not sitting around and like, well, let's have our strong and weak column, you know, of people here. Like, that's not where he's headed with that. Although sometimes, you know, maybe we act like that in how we react to people. His point, though, is that all of us, should be taking an equal share of the responsibility for being united with one another in our relationships. And, you know, we, we know what it feels like when we don't do this, when we don't take equal responsibility in our relationships, because all of us have had that friend that never reaches out to us, but we're always the one who reaches out to them. And so eventually you wonder, like, wait, it, is this a friendship? Like, if I'm the only one who contacts this person, I'm the only one who cares about them and what's going on in their life, or, or maybe you know that person who... Every time you see their phone pop up and your their, their contact pop up in your phone, you know, well, something's gone wrong. <laughs> you know, they need something. It's like, well, is is that really kind of the relationship or friendship that you really want to have with other people? And so he's concerned with all of us, whether we're strong or weak in our faith, that we're both both sides are taking uh, um, taking equal responsibility for that relationship. And so Paul continues on in Romans chapter 14. He gives a very specific example, even identifies the difference between weak and strong faith uh, so that we can recognize how we ought to take responsibility for ourselves in these matters. So Romans chapter 14, verse 2. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Now, eating is a great example for Paul for his readers because of the background that they have in their lives. So Jewish Christians are coming along from this background of saying, hey, like, we're not supposed to eat meat that is sacrificed for, for, for idols. And so if you were to go to the marketplace, most of that meat would have been sacrificed to idols. If you're living in a, uh, a city that is not primarily filled with Jewish people, and so there's going to be pork, and there's going to be shellfish, and there's going to be all these things that are like, hey, uh, these are foods that we're not supposed to eat. And because we follow Jesus, like, nobody else should do that either, right? Because Jesus came, like, he came from our side of things. And so Gentile Christians are, are looking at that, and they're thinking, are you kidding me? Like, no more shellfish? I don't know. Like, is this really what the gospel is all about? This is what Jesus came to do? And so they're looking around and saying, is, like, is this what we've been saved to? And so everybody's looking at each other and saying, who gets to be right here? And so that's why Paul's writing about this. In this situation, it's not an either-or. And there are so many situations like that. You think about all the classic church arguments that you've probably experienced or been through, the color of the carpet, or whether or not you have chairs or pews, or chews like we have. Um, whether or not, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed saying it. You enjoyed hearing it. It works well. Um, hymns versus contemporary songs. 
Uh, whether or not people should be allowed, this may sound really specific, uh, whether or not people should be allowed to sweat in your multi-purpose gym slash auditorium that you built specifically to reach out uh, to the community. Um, I can share more about that with you later. <laughs> whether or not you should be Republican or Democrat. Man, why did he have to say that one? These are classic church arguments that are in the realm of opinion debated by those who are weak and strong in their faith. Now, what's fascinating about this is most of the time, I almost want to say all of the time, but most of the time when we're quarreling over disputable matters, nobody is willing to be the weaker brother or sister. (laughs) How many of us start off in the conversation? Now, Now, I know where I am in my faith on this issue. I know this is a weaker stance, but like this is where I am, and so I feel like God has called me to this, and this is how I'm going to approach that, and, and I'm trying to give glory. No, it's like, no, I'm going to argue about this because you should be doing what I'm doing, even though it's an opinion matter. You know, that would be admitting defeat before the battle, and obviously the point of any disagreement is to win the argument, right? Come on. Don't we know this? You're supposed to win, like, at all costs. This is what you do when you argue. Obviously, I'm... I'm well, maybe not, obviously, but I, I am joking when I say that. <laughs> that. That is not the point. So um, maybe you just learned something that's going to help your marriage. I, 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 I hope so. But when we evaluate honestly why we hold the position we do, we can often clarify how we ought to approach the position we hold with others and therefore be more God-honoring in the process and draw nearer in unity. And so for the sake of unity, here's how we make good judgments as Christ followers. When determining whether or not something is right or wrong or a disputable matter, a matter of opinion, our first step as believers in Jesus is an answer to the question, what does the Bible have to say about this? And what we're saying when we say that is, what, what does God have to say about this? Because the Bible is God's word preserved for us to know and understand his revelation to us about who he is, his nature and his character. And so this is the be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12 idea that we talked about last week. This is the start of it. This living sacrifice is allowing God's thinking to transform our own thinking. If we do not start with this premise, everything falls apart because we're no longer concerning, concerning ourselves with God's authority over our lives, but placing ourselves in authority over our lives instead. This is where we get into the most trouble amongst each other as Christians, and it is Hopefully it's okay for me to say this out loud. It is mind-numbingly frustrating to me, and hopefully for all of us, to see disunity among Christians over being um, disunified over an unwillingness to read. I'm not saying everything is easy to draw a conclusion on, and there's certainly complex issues, But there are so many painful situations that are avoided when we're more knowledgeable about the wisdom that is already written down and shared to us through God's word and scripture. And so hopefully that's our first question. Like if we're dealing with a matter, we're looking down, we're setting the Bible and we're opening up and saying, well, you know, what does God's word have to say about this? And and when we read it, hopefully we're not like pushing it to a side and saying, but this is what I think. The second step is this, is to ask this question, what does the Bible command on this issue? There may or may not be a command on the question that you're talking about, the thing that you're dealing with. There is no thus saith the Lord on whether or not you can eat meat, for example. Therefore, there is freedom for that decision. But there is a command to honor one another's decisions, and each should be seeking to honor God in the conclusion they draw. 
Romans chapter 14, uh, verse 5 and 6. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. And here's, here's how and why they should be convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and give thanks to God. Skip down to verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. And he's talking about food here. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. In other words, Paul is saying that it is not worth attempting to argue someone into something that is in the realm of opinion. Again, in honesty and authenticity to Scripture, both parties should be willing to recognize what is of opinion and what is not. Again, there are disputable matters. There are some matters that are not indisputable. But we shouldn't knowingly cause someone to struggle with their faith. In Paul's example of meat, if a weaker brother or sister only eats vegetables and they're doing that to be God-honoring, then the meat eater ought not to be trying to argue that person into eating meat as some way to make them stronger in their faith. And so the third, thing to, the third step and the third thing to ask is what is the God-honoring thing to do as a result of what Scripture says about what God commands in this situation? And this often ends up being the most difficult application um, based on this idea of not condemning someone based on opinion. Because that's what we're talking about here is condemnation. Because this is what Paul means when he poses the question in Romans chapter 14, 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? This happens when we condemn someone without knowing anything about who they are, why they've made the decision on this matter of opinion that they've made, um, why they're convicted in the way they are. And it's certainly a sign of weakness in our faith when we condemn when we don't even know the person we're supposed to be in relationship with. Jesus says this in response to religious hypocrites. He says in John chapter 7, verse 24, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. There are judgments we're called to make among each other as Christians. There, there are. We are supposed to judge each other as Christians. We're supposed to judge whether or not we're honoring God together and bearing fruit. If we're repenting of sin, are we walking alongside each other in unity and essentials? Are we giving grace in realms of opinion, using love as the guiding principle for those interactions? The difference is we're not supposed to be condemning each other. That's not the role God has called us to as Christians. If we want to honor God together as a strong congregation, if you want to honor God in your other relationships, and let's be clear about what's worth fighting for and the difference between that and things that ultimately don't matter. You can use good judgment without being judgmental. Our role is not to condemn. Our role is to spur one another on, encourage one another, judge each other correctly, to point each other to the Lord. So this is what good judgment looks like in Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. 
May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. One more thought. Paul ends Romans chapter 16, um, Roman, the letter of Romans with Romans chapter 16, and a lot of times this is one of the sections of scripture where maybe we kind of skip or skim over because Paul is greeting a bunch of people, and so there are a bunch of names that we can't pronounce, and we're like, I don't know what's going on, but Paul's saying, thank you. Okay, that's cool, like it's the end of the letter, but what this is doing is representing what things look like when we draw together in unity with Jesus as a cornerstone. Like, when, when Jesus is primary, we, we experience a faith that's a communal faith, as it's supposed to be, with people who leave eternal impacts on our lives. Um, and so I, I've asked Bob to come up, because Bob and Denise, um, I probably won't do the second service, because I did now, um, so I'm getting it out of the way for you guys. <clears throat> um, Bob and Anise have, have been those Roman 16 people here for this congregation. Um, and so I've asked Bob to come up and, and just kind of share um, just what he and Denise have. I'm, I'm not asking Denise to come up because she would never talk to me again. Um, <clears throat> and so I, I want him to uh, kind of close out our message uh, in sharing why he's been the example he's been. So just to settle it, lost was great until it was terrible. <laughs> Sorry, Renee. Does this, does this come up? Oh. When you're right on the edge of 60, this is necessary, okay? Just give you a heads up. So in a different ending to our time here at Velocity, Hebrews 11.6 would have been what I ended with, I'll just give you a hint. If you want to hear me tell you that, uh, come tonight, hang out with us at Firehouse. Hebrews eleven six says, he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. And I'll tell you all about how that feels. But in Romans 16, Paul's talking about some people who were simply living out lives with appropriate gratitude for what Jesus had already done for them. Um, Denise and I have tried to do that at Velocity in whatever way we could, and I characterize it this way, honor the king with the resources that he's given us to the best of our ability in the place that we've been called. So Rob preached about unity in the church. In my NIV version of the Bible, there's these chapter heads. Um, they're not original. They're summaries from the translators, but but the chapter head in Ephesians 4 is unity and maturity in the body of Christ. And so unity and maturity are linked. Verse 1 says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, not of the Lord, but for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The beginning of unity and maturity is recognizing that if you are following Jesus, there's a call on your life. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished, meaning that the price of sin had been paid. 
But then Jesus gives to the church the work of propagating the gospel through time and across the globe. John Piper has spoken many times about a piece of wall art that he hung on. It was hanging in his kitchen when he was a child. I think it'll come up behind us. Um, and it says this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So this kingdom work that Jesus calls us to, it, the building up of the church, living a life worthy of our calling and bringing honor to the name of Jesus. This is the only work I know of with eternal significance. I worked at Dominion for 37 years. It's not eternally significant. <laughs> the lights are still on, however. Uh, the, so the work that he calls us to is not necessarily easy. I would say it's rarely easy. Um, velocity, let's take velocity as an example. Velocity, since we've been here, has faced a number of, cha uh, of challenges. You may be new, you may go root all the way back to the beginning, but um, I'll just give you a few. Right before the halls showed up, Velocity sent a bunch of key leaders to start a daughter church. Um, it was exactly the time when Velocity needed them to stay here, and yet both churches are still standing. We sent the Espositos out to start Reap Grenada. Get somebody to tell you that story. You're going to hear from people who just came back from an amazing place that they're building. Um, we sent them out when neither they nor we could see how it was possibly going to work. And yet, amazing things are happening at REAP and Velocity is still here. We made a difficult and unpopular decision to move from a theater to this building. And yet, Velocity is still here. By the way, the backstory of that is we offered CVS half of what they wanted for this building as a lease, and they accepted it. That's an amazing thing. We were, in the midst of that, sued by a prominent Richmond law firm <laughs> to keep us out of this building. I remember sitting in court with our lawyer when the judge heard the arguments, and yet, here we are. And out front, it says, this is the Velocity Building. We came through a time so difficult financially that it prompted our first pastor, Tim Cole, to be walking the streets at 2 in the morning. I didn't recommend this to him, but walking the streets of his subdivision at 2 in the morning, praying for a way out of our financial stress. And yet, here we are. The lights are still on and the air conditioner runs. There's been some amazing God things happen here. God has preserved this little church through all of these challenges for his own purpose. If you're sitting here listening to this, I do not believe you're here by accident. If God has brought you here, it is for his purpose, just as velocity remaining here is for his purpose. The question is, what is he calling you to do and what is he calling you to become here? As Denise and I move on to what's next, and if you want to hear something about what we think that might be, all we know is it's in Tennessee. Uh, uh, come, come tonight. Uh, we'll feed you. Um, I want to leave you with one last bit of scripture to think about. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. It's familiar scripture. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. 
For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. A lot of church people I have known stop reading at verse 9. But the truth is, we are not saved, just saved from something, we're saved for something. Something that honors the one who saved us, builds up his church, and propagates his gospel. So the question for all of you, and I don't know your answer, but have you thought about where you are in those verses? Are you a verse 9 Christian? Um, or have you fully engaged with verse 10? I told you Hebrews 11.6 was something I can talk about. He says, I'm a rewarder of those who earnestly seek me. That's verse 10 in action. My prayer for you all is that you will seek and find from the one who called you here, your Ephesians 2.10 purpose, and lean into it with all that you can muster. It has eternal consequence. Honor the king. Um, Bob and Denise have modeled, modeled that unity for us. Um, something that we experience here in this congregation. It's something that we experience with Christians all over the world. Um, and so right now as we move into our time of communion, like we do every week at Velocity, we're going to uh, not only pass out communion, but you're going to also be seeing footage of uh, some of those places that we're unified with uh, all over the world as well. We're going to have uh, the team that Bob mentioned share a little bit. Um, but right now, as we kind of share in this time of communion together, reminding ourselves of the foundation that Jesus has laid for us through his sacrifice, uh, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your salvation through Jesus. Um, God, it's a salvation we don't deserve. It's a, sal a salvation we don't earn, but you freely give it to us. And um, God, we ask that you continually encourage us as Christians through your Holy Spirit to, um, to be guided to living out that salvation with each other. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.